The opinions and views shared in this podcast are the opinions and views of the host and the host alone. They are not a reflection of his employer or any other organization that the host is a member of. The host does not speak for anyone, only himself. This is the I Am Pith Podcast. Get ready for contact. What's up, everybody? This is your boy Dex with the I Am Pits podcast. Finally back for another episode. Well, happy belated Merry Christmas and happy New Year to you all. I hope that 2022 was good to you all. And I hope that 2023 is going to be even better. I hope that you all had a wonderful and Merry Christmas. Probably a lot better than mine's. And man, Well, I still can't believe the year is over and we are in 2023 and Lord knows Louisville did not disappoint three homicides in less than 24 hours. I believe it was actually three homicides in four hours in Louisville way to kick off the new year already stacking bodies and the first day of the new mayor (laughs) Greenberg in office like so (laughs) starting off on a hot hand. My man starting off on a hot hand. My Lord. Like I said, Louisville never disappoints when it comes to always letting you down, just like our basketball team currently. <laughs> so, but man, 2022, you know, ah, man, there, there's just so many things I can say about 2022 personally. 2022, it was a bit of a rough year, but man, there were some good highlights that came out of 2022 for me and I hope for you all as well. For me, it was I published my first book. As a matter of fact, that is today is the one year to the day I published my book. I am Pitt's Memoirs of American Patriot. And as you all know, that's also my alive day. Today's marked 18 years to the day that I almost died in Iraq. You know, so but lo and behold, I'm still here 18 years later, as I call it, the bonus years of my life, because Lord knows he's the only one that spared my life that day. And I have 18 years of life on the other side of that explosion to show for it. And I hope that it makes my buddies that have passed on before me that died in combat, you know, that the life I have lived with is worthy of their sacrifices and them not making it home. But, you know, I had that. And then also get this year, I got to reconnect with some family members, my grandparents and my uncles on my dad's side of the family in Mississippi. I talked about that on the couple podcasts ago and I mentioned it in my book, you know, and been taking my kids down to Mississippi to reconnect with the lost side of the family. And we're still healing. There's still some a lot of healing to be done between me and my father. And I, the man I've not talked to in years. But, you know, we took a I took my family, my life and the step in the right direction. <clears throat> Ooh, excuse me. You know, I'm still coming over, Could still getting over from being sick. And I'll talk about that in a second. But, yeah, you know, man, just. That was awesome, man. And then even better for 2022, I I left the stress behind and I finally had the courage to pull away from LMPD after being there for so long and thinking and saying I would never leave because it's my home and I love this place. But, you know, God blessed me with an opportunity to work for a new police department and a new chief. And man, I'm, I've, I've only been there a month, but it's been phenomenal thus far. And my stress levels are down. I feel better hate being on night shift, but I'm tolerating night shift here a lot better than I imagined I would. So I really can't complain. And I'm making good money to be the police where I'm at. And man, just the stress levels are so low. And I'm actually doing police work. 
and it feels phenomenal. And even better, I want a free trip to Orlando this year. Man, we just got back the other day. We got back on the 26th late that day. It was, And I know what y'all are thinking, man. You want a free trip to Orlando? Man, I know this must have been a wonderful trip. Well, did not turn out to be a wonderful trip. Now, I will say, there was a dark omen, literally a dark omen on the way down there. So we left on, I can't even remember what day we left, man. We left last week, Monday, or late in the day, like 3 o'clock. So, man, as we're driving, we're like in Valdosta, Georgia. We're still about, you know, like five hours out from Orlando. And it's nighttime, and the next thing you know, my truck starts to sputter. It's nighttime, and the next thing you know, all the electronics in my truck, everything goes out. Truck sputters, and all of a sudden, everything kicks back on. But some odd reason, my headlights aren't working. And as I'm driving, I'm like, oh, my God, like my kids are freaking out. My wife is starting to lose it. And I'm just like, man, I got to stay calm. I'm the I'm the man of this of the household right now. I can't I can't punk out and you know start screaming because, you know, my lights went out on the truck and we're flying in the dark. And so my wife is like, pull over, pull over. I'm like, nah, I got this. I'm cool. Stay chill out. Y'all be quiet. Hush. Daddy's got this. And so the next thing you know, you know, my lights stopped working, but. I don't know what happened. Can't figure it out. But my headlights were still working. I want to say that my light bulbs burned out, but I don't believe that when light bulbs typically burn out, that doesn't make the power in the truck sputter. So I don't know what the heck it was, but we pushed on with the <laughs> driving with high beams only and people giving me the finger the whole time. Sorry, y'all, but I had to make up for lost time and I was not stopping because I was tired of being on the road. And so we get to Orlando you know, like I said, it was a dark omen, literally a dark omen. It went dark when I was driving. I had no lights. And so we get to Orlando. And as we're there, man, we go out the next day. You know, we rest up and go out the next day. We go to this place called the Fun Spot and Amusement Park. And it's freaking phenomenal. It's a small little amusement park. And the weather in Orlando is not great. It's like overcast and a little drizzling a little bit. Yeah, but it's still decent weather. And we're just riding these rides. There's no lines. And I'm just having the time of my life. <coughs> Excuse me. Having the time of my life with my kids. And man, there's nothing better to me as an adult man. And especially as a veteran than when I go somewhere and I don't have to stand in the line. Because the military really made me line adverse. I hate waiting in long lines. That's why I want to go to Disney. I'm not paying all this money standing in the line. Well, the fun spot, man, we went straight to the front for everything. Because there was no line. And it was just awesome. And I'm riding these rides and screaming and yelling and my throat's starting to hurt a little bit. And I'm just like, ah, I'll be all right. You know, starting to get that little tickle in the back of the throat. Yo, and by the time we were done there and we went to go eat, by the time we got back to the room, like all my strength just left me, just left. I don't know what happened. Next thing you know, I'm just shivering and I'm cold. My body's achy. My wife puts me in the hot tub and I knock out, man. And then I sleep for like 12 hours. And I don't sleep 12 hours. I've not slept 12 hours since. I don't even remember the last time I slept that long. And then, I mean, every day from then on out, I was sleeping 12, 14 hours. But even worse, I'm a warm-blooded person, man. I don't get cold. And I'm over here in Florida, in Orlando. We got the heat on in the room. I'm wearing my black freaking military uh, you know, vortex jacket, bro. And I'm shivering. Going to bed, and I mean, I'm just shivering cold every night. Sitting inside our apartment, our little uh, little place, man, just shivering, dude. And then the next thing you know, you know, I'm still going forward, pushing forward, because the kids, you know, this is for the kids. I want my kids to have a good time. 
And the next, you know, my wife starts coughing and hacking. And I'm just like, oh, God, here we go. This is freaking great, man. And so we keep pushing on. She's not feeling well. I'm not feeling well. My kid's like, no, hey, we came here to have some fun. We're going to have some fun. Hey, let's go, you know, to, uh, SeaWorld. That was one of the things I told my kids. I'm going to take you out to SeaWorld. So we go to SeaWorld. And when we get there, it's not the best weather. This is It's been the, the coldest on record in Orlando like in the, in its history, I think. <laughs> so we're at SeaWorld, yo. That's not horrible weather. It's like sixty five degrees, yo. It's not, it's decent. And you know, I brought me a little jacket because it was a little windy, yo. But you know, there, we I didn't I wasn't feeling great, so I didn't really want to ride a lot of roller coasters. But you know, my kids are like, hey, let's ride ride these water rides. So we go ride the water rides. The first ride, we get a little wet, not crazy, you know. Then we ride the second ride, and man, we get soaked. And I'm just like, man, this is awful and then my kids are like you know hey we want to see the orca show so i'm like hey let's go watch the orca show we go to the orca show and they're like man it's already full you got to come back for the next show in like 45 minutes but you got to get here an hour early because the seats fill up fast and so we walk around wet for 45 minutes go to the gates for the to the get to the arena for the orca show so we get in there and then next thing you know boom Temperature drops. I'm talking like probably 10 degrees. And so it's probably like 55 degrees or 50 degrees out. Yo, and we're sitting there waiting for the orca show. I'm soaking wet. And I and at this point, I'm a wonderful father, just let me say, because my kids are cold and freezing. And daddy's got a jacket because daddy was smart enough to bring a jacket. Yeah, they you know, so they didn't bring their jackets. So what do I do as a caring father? That's already sick. I give the, my kids my jacket like here. Let, let me sacrifice myself for you, son. And so my kids put on my jacket and then we're, I'm just sitting there miserable, soaking wet, waiting for the orcas to come out. And so an hour passes, the orcas come out for like they do like two flips, two tricks. And then the trainers are like, hey, that's going to be it for the day. The orcas don't feel like performing. Come back for the next performance. And I'm at this point, I'm like, yo, I've been sitting here soaking wet, freezing so my kids can see this show. And you're going to tell me these orcas ain't going to do no more flips? Oh, no, homeboy. I'm about to run down there and punch Shamu straight in its snout. I was hot. Mad. I was pissed. These, I'm like, man, no, no, no. These orcas going to perform, dog. I didn't wait at all this time soaking wet. No, 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 no. I need something. I need something more than a couple flips now. Yeah, I was so mad. Yo. And at this point, the temperature continues to drop. And then me, I was a cheapskate. And I didn't get the premier parking at SeaWorld. I was like, I ain't paying extra $20 for premier parking. We just going to park in the general parking. And man, when we started walking and that temp dropped and we were still wet. Oh, my God. It was miserable. I felt like I was on a army road march where your feet, everything hurts. Every step you take hurts and you're cold, you're miserable and you're hungry and you just want to die. And that's how I felt walking back. And I felt even more saltier as I walked past the premier parking. The primetime parking that I was like, no, nah, I don't want to pay that extra twenty dollars. I'm not doing it. I'm just going to park with everybody else. And as I was walking by, I was like, damn it, Dexter, you should have spent the twenty dollars. Twenty freaking bucks, bro. You ain't poor. You could afford twenty dollars. Man, I man, we made that long ass walk back to the car and got in. I cut the heat all the way up, went home and passed out with my big heavy jacket on because I was feeling awful. You know, and to make things worse, I also somehow when we were driving down, I don't know what I did. You know, my left arm is my messed up arm from Iraq. But this is how you know you're an old broken down vet. Simply driving and holding the steering wheel. I don't know what happened, but something in my arm, I don't know, popped. Just holding the steering wheel driving. 
and now I have this horrible pain in my left arm and my middle finger and my ring finger continue keep going numb from driving and simply holding a wheel. Like I said, this was a bad trip to start with and things just kept getting worse and wasn't getting better, man. So, you know, I'm sick. My wife's sick and, you know, we're, we're just pushing through and we're just like, man, we're just ready to go home. Christmas comes, man, and we... You know, we try to figure out what we're going to do for Christmas. We go watch, you know, go to the movie theaters. We go to Icon Park and go watch Avatar at the movie theaters. It's a three-hour movie. It was almost a three-hour nap for me because I was worn out and tired, man. But the kids had a good time. You know? Then we decide, you know, hey, we're going to go to a Chinese restaurant, buffet, because there's nowhere to eat in Orlando right now on Christmas. Well, little did I know, apparently Orlando does not really shut down on Christmas because people want to have their fun. And so we go find a Chinese buffet. And my God, this line was ridiculous. And waited all that time for some cheap, low-quality food. And at this point, me and my wife were looking at each other like, man, let's just go home. Let's <laughs> like, let's just pack the car tonight on Christmas to just hit the road and be done and get the hell out of here. Because we were both over it. Absolutely over it. And so, this, like I said, this whole time, I've been sleeping 12, 14 hours a night. And I'm like, man, I'm about to take some trazodone. I'm about to be out, and we're going to hit this road. But for some odd reason... I took a trazodone at night, and this happens with trazodone sometimes. Sometimes it don't work, and sometimes you just can't sleep. And well, for some odd reason, I took a trazodone that night, and I did not sleep. I tossed and turned for freaking hours. That by the next thing you know, it's 4 o'clock, and I'm like, it's time to get up to hit the road. My body's like, we ain't going no damn where right now. You better lay your ass down in this bed. So I laid in the bed for about another two and a half hours, and we finally got up and hit the road back north to Kentucky. And my God, it was the worst 12 hour. Well, excuse me. What what is supposed to be a 12 hour drive turned out to be 15 because traffic was so bad traveling with the general public. And man, every gas station we stopped at was loaded. The line for gas was out, you know, to the streets. The line for the bathroom was out the door. It was a nightmare. Now, I don't want you all to get offended when I say this to the general public. I love people. The general public, I love y'all. But I like people in, in, in small doses. I like people individually in small groups. But I do not like traveling with the general public in mass. This is miserable, man. I mean, oh, my God. Just people are so inconsiderate. And I was just, man, I was just so angry and bitter <laughs> as we drove back to Kentucky. And I was just like, man, what a waste of a freaking free trip. Never been so miserable. We were probably the most miserable people in Orlando. I mean, I didn't get to see the people I wanted to see when I was down there. I got a buddy from the police department that's a police officer in Louisville here still, but he moved his family down there, and he's going to move down with them when he retires. I was supposed to see them and hang out with them for Christmas, but couldn't because I didn't want to get everybody sick. Then I was supposed to see my buddy John from the Army. I have not seen this dude literally. It's been like 17 years. I was supposed to go see him in Tampa. Missed him. And there's some other people I was supposed to meet up and see and just say hi. My homegirl, Bianca, she used to work with us. And now she's a cop down that way. And I was just like, man, nothing on this trip went right. I mean, it was just absolutely miserable. But lo and behold, my kids had a wonderful time. And man, I am just and honestly, I'm still tired because I we came back on the 26th and I had to be at work that night of the 27th. So I really didn't get any rest and I'm still sick. And man, honestly, I was still feeling like crap and feeling like crud. And man, it's just, oh my God. Honestly, I mean, I was supposed to have done an interview with my wife down there in Orlando for the podcast. But guess what? I ended up forgetting my charging cable for the computer. So it didn't happen. Like I said, this was just a trip that 
this was literally <laughs> the trip from hell. Yeah, man. And you know, and I was like, man, I need really need to put a show out. I knew, need to do a podcast. I've been saying I'm going to do one. And I was like, man, I really don't feel like doing one. I've been real lazy, y'all. And I'm sorry. I've not been feeling good. I've not slept good. And man, I'm just kind of struggling. But I was like, you know what? Today's January 2nd. It's a new year. It's my alive day. Went to Outback Steakhouse and had the worst steak of my life about it 30 minutes ago. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to do the show, though. The, the people need a show, man. My homeboy, Baird, he's going to get me if I don't do a show. He wanted me to do the show sick because my voice was real deep and raspy when I was sick. He was like, man, you would sound so sexy. I was like, I know, bro, but I, I can't do it, man. I don't have it in me right now. I don't have the energy or, you know, it, like I said, I've just been tired and lazy trying to recover. And I've yet to recover. So I need a vacation to recover from the horrible vacation that I had, you know, but I did realize, man, why a lot of people love Florida and move to Florida and Orlando, man. God, Orlando is beautiful. I mean, I see why so many people flock there for a vacation to move there. But at the same time, I realize Orlando ain't for me. And I wouldn't want to live where everybody goes to vacation. It's too much for me, man. The traffic. And I mean, people don't know how to drive like jerks like me who freaking couldn't find my way because I kept getting turned around on the interstate and all these weird Florida traffic highways. I just couldn't get with it, man. And I'm waiting for the bill from all the toll roads. My God. What a nightmare, dude. It was <laughs> like I said, it, it ain't for me, man. You know, but I saw this uh, real funny meme the other day. It said, uh, my toxic trait is believing that moving to Florida will solve all my problems. And I was like, man, that's so funny. But at the same time, it's so sad because a lot of people believe that. Yo, a lot of people believe that like Florida is just the land of milk and honey. And then once you move there, all your problems are gone. But you don't realize you are your problem. So your problem is just going to be in a better tropical environment. That's it. Ain't nothing going to change, homie. It's still going to be you. It's just going to be you in Florida. And man, and that's when I realized, you know, people, we as humans and I guess spoiled Americans, man, we we have this thing where we lack perception and perspective, man. You know, I've lived enough life in 38 years and have enough experience and have experienced life enough to know that what we perceive is not always accurate. And so, you know, what we see as paradise is somebody else's hell. You know, my paradise vacation, my free trip to Orlando, that wasn't really that much paradise to me. But nonetheless, my free trip to Orlando was somebody else's 40 hour work week and their own personal hell, despite them living and working in what someone else might perceive as paradise. See, man, I saw so many happy faces in Orlando and a lot of these people seem to be having the time of their lives. But see, I also saw many tired, stressed out faces, overworked faces that were crying. I am ready for this day to be over and I am ready to go home faces as well, despite the fact that these people live and work in someone else's perception of paradise. You know, what really got me was on Christmas Day, man, I you know we picked up the phone to order towels on Christmas Day and somebody at the other end of that line of that phone picked up to bring us some extra towels. 
And my wife, you know, my wife is the sweetest person ever, man. Really is. I can't wait to have her on the show. But she's just, Merry Christmas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, hope you're having a good Christmas. Just so sweet. Yo, like just over the top, nice, like unbelievably nice show. You can just hear the other person on the line like, yep, Merry Christmas. You know, we're on Christmas in Orlando. Life is wonderful and grand. And you could tell Then I heard the uh, person on the other end of the line said, you know, it's just another day. <laughs> so our special Christmas vacation in Orlando, you know what? It's just someone else's regular day. Long, tired, overworked, regular day in Orlando. <laughs> but, you know, go figure and imagine that. There are people who live in Florida and in Orlando who are not necessarily happy and still have to work. You know, if you've been listening to this show for any time period before, you know, I have always said this. I've always said Florida is a great and special place only because I visited maybe once a year. This is only my second time going to Florida because I know that the moment I moved to move to Florida and I become a Florida resident and I have to pay bills and pay Florida taxes, it becomes just another day in another place, man. You know, so I don't get so overhyped for Florida and how great Florida is. And I just can't wait to be in Florida. And I got some buddies, man. They love Florida, boy. They love some beaches. They love Florida. But no matter how much you love something, if you see it every day, guess what? You're going to take it for granted and it's just going to be another thing. How many people do you think have moved to Florida to be close to the beach? And they think they're going to be at the beach every day. And guess what? After a certain time. You get tired of singing the sand in the water because you see it every freaking day. Man, and the truth is, if you can't be happy where you are in your current circumstances, a change of scenery is not going to solve that problem for you. If you can't be happy where you are, you're not going to be happy in Florida. That's just facts. Florida is a place just like any other place. It's got great weather, great people, great food, great entertainment. But guess what? You still have to deal with yourself and you still have to deal with your problems. And like I was telling y'all, man, I got a buddy that he still works here in Louisville, but he has moved his family down to Orlando because they are big time Disney folks, man. They love some y'all. They love Disney. That's their whole world, man. They used to go to Disney for like two, three weeks out of the year and they love this. And like me personally, I don't see the allure for Disney. I wanted to go and experience it, but I'm not paying all that money to stand in line. Maybe another time, Mickey Mouse. Maybe another time, Goofy, but not on this last trip, man. But, you know, that they love Florida. So, like I said, he's going to you know his family's living down there now. When he retires in a couple of years, he's going to move down there with them as well. And I see why his him and his family and others move there. It's beautiful and the weather is awesome. But, you know, that's when I realized I was starting to fall into the same trap that a lot of us always fall in. The trap of comparing. I started thinking to myself, man. Boy, these palm trees show are nice down here. Boy, this weather in Florida show is good. I wish we had all these fun things to do in Kentucky like they do in Florida. And the crazy part is I freaking love my life and I love where I live. And I can promise you that there is someone right now in Florida and someone in Orlando that would probably do anything to be in my current situation to be living where I live because I'm in a great current situation in my life and I live in a wonderful home. But yet here I am overlooking all I have and 
looking at the comparison trap of this really, really, really nice place I am that I'm perceiving as a paradise. And I had to check myself and remind myself that regardless of how nice paradise is, like I said, I love my nice and quiet suburban life. And I would not trade it for anything. My peace of mind that I have in my everyday life, going to work and coming from work, my everyday life is phenomenal, man. I ain't got no palm trees here. We ain't got consistent 70, 80, 90 degree weather. None of that. And my life here is wonderful. And like I said, my peace of mind is just next level, man. Nothing better than going to bed in a nice home, not having to worry about your lights getting cut off and not worrying about where my family's next meal is going to come from. I said, ain't no palm trees in my yard. But man, like I said, I got peace of mind. and I'll take peace of mind over palm trees any day. But it's just so crazy how quick we are to compare our lives and what we have with other things that are that are so meaningless and that provide no value on the surface and bring no value to our lives or that enrich the lives of people around us. And that has become the American society that we are in today. And we American society has fallen into that comparison trap. And that's thanks to social media. If you ask me, you know, y'all have heard me say it time and time again. I despise social media. I do. Only reason I'm on for the podcast and to stay connected with some friends, but I don't go down the social media rabbit holes and arguments like I used to because they're pointless and they're, it's fruitless. It's nothing. And for the most part, everything you see on social media is fake. But for some odd reason, today's generation of people and youth and children think everything they see on social media is real. And it leads us to compare our lives to the fake lives we're seeing of what people call influencers, social media influencers. And it makes us look at our lives like our lives are not great or spectacular. When in all reality, the people that we're looking at on these social media pages, guess what? Their lives are not as great and as spectacular as you would think. You know, one of the people I follow the most in this world is Dave Ramsey. The money man, the Mr. Get Out of Debt man, Mr. No Credit Cards. Love his advice, but he's often said this on a show before that social media is someone's highlight reel. That's all it is. You know, people look at these stories, these one minute, two minute reels and stories, and we perceive that person's life as this wonderful paradise that they're in where everything's wonderful and great. That's just two minutes out of a 24 hour day. So we're looking at two minutes of perfection when the truth is the other 23 hours and 58 minutes are just as miserable as yours is. You know, we look at that small two minutes and think, man, I wish I had that life. I wish I was that guy. I wish I was as pretty as her. I wish I was as ripped as him. I wish I had a body like that. Or, you know, I wish I had a car like that. I wish I had that house. And I'm like, man, you know, we fall into this trap constantly in this country. Like I said, we we take these two minute reels and just look at that as success. Two minutes. And we see that as success. That's sad and pitiful. And like I said, the truth is these people are normal people just like you and I. But they're because of camera angles and all this other stuff and likes. And, you know, that's. That's become the measure of success in people's lives on social media. How many followers can I get? And I like to, I hate the term influencer. I hate it 
because we should not be being being influenced by these people that are no better or worse than any of us. But like I said, that's what that our perception. We perceive them to be more than they really are because they're good in front of a camera for two minutes. But lo and behold, their life is hell. I said, we're seeing them smiling and laughing and living it up for two minutes. But we don't realize what goes into that other 23 hours and 58 minutes that's actually dragging them down. You know, and the thing that gets me is, man, the people with the most followers on social media, they are putting on the biggest show and selling you the most BS out of anybody because they are trying to sell you some BS that even they don't believe themselves. Because they know their lives are not that great and spectacular, but they want to sell you this product that's going to make your life better or give you some taking random advice from strangers in a two minute reel on TikTok or Instagram stories, bro. Like that's that's not the way to live your life, man. I'm telling you, that's just not the way to do it. And for some odd reason, everyone is a freaking influencer. And that is why I told you all time and time again, I don't want to be an influencer. That's not my goal. I don't care about being an influencer. And that's why one of the things I've been debating is like, man, do I want to have a go video? You need to go video, man. You need to go. I don't care. And I've decided that, like, I'm not focusing on doing videos because I don't need to be seen. I just want to be heard. You know, there's a big difference in that. You know, people want their face out there so they can be seen and be noticed and be, you know, be famous. And me, I don't care about none of that. That makes me no damn difference. You know, that's just that's just not my goal is to be famous in life. And oh, my God, that's Dexter Pitch from the Iron Pitch show. Like nobody cares, man. And hell, half the time I'm looking at people that these quote unquote influencers, I really don't give a damn. And I'm not paying attention to anything you're trying to sell. You're not going to con me like the Liver King con all these people in America and believing that if they just eat some raw meat and some raw organs, that they were all going to get buff and ripped and have like a stack of six pack abs, bro. Like that's a shame, man, that we are so gullible as a nation that we look at this dude, these two minute reels and this guy in two minutes, he's you know eating some cow testicles and then having some chains around his neck and does a couple bicep curls. And all of a sudden you think, you know, I'm living a natural life off of just eating an ancestral diet of just eating organ meat and you're going to be completely ripped. Well, there is nobody with nobody with common sense that knows that this dude is on roids and is on the juice. But man, this man misled so many freaking people and made from what I researched at least a million dollars selling this bullcrap to everybody, man. And I mean, this man led people to the slaughterhouse financially, bro, just taking all their money, selling this BS because people are so desperate to look good for this one to two minute reel that they can show people that this is their life when it's not their real life and it's not their authentic life. Two minutes is nothing out of a 24 hour day. But my God, we've elevated that two minutes in this culture. And we've elevated it so high. And the way we perceive that two minutes, man, has completely clouded our judgment on what real life is and what real happiness is and real success is. Case in point, Twitch. If you don't know who Twitch is, I'm not real familiar with the guy, but I know that he committed suicide a couple, about what, two, two weeks ago. 
And I guess Twitch was the guy on Ellen DeGeneres show that was a dancer and choreographer. And man, he looked to be the happiest man on earth, had everything in life. I mean, a beautiful wife, beautiful kids. He's working in TV. You know, he's working for the Ellen show and famous all over the place. And you know what the man, you know, homeboy got money. I would think he did at least show. But all of a sudden, guess what? Oh, my God, y'all. Twitch is dead. He killed himself. He committed suicide and all people kept doing it was posting this video that he and his wife literally just posted of them two dancing and just smiling and having a good time. Just boy, they just up there getting it, dancing, cutting a rug. And the next thing you know, this dude kills himself and people can't get over the fact that he killed himself because, man, he looks so happy. I don't understand. He looks so happy. Two minutes. That video. Two minutes. You think that someone is happy in their entire life and that they have purpose and that they are living their entire being and doing everything right in life because they got two minute video of them dancing and smiling with his wife. Well, I guarantee you, I don't know Twitch, but I can promise you that other 23 hours and 58 minutes was filled with absolute and utter hell. We think that because of a two minute video, that someone is living their best life and that they are as happy as they're ever going to be and that they have everything in life that they want and that that person would never, ever think to commit suicide because of a two-minute video. Now You have to ask yourself, do you want a good two-minute reel for the gram, for TikTok? Or would you rather have a spectacular 23 hours and 58 minutes? Which means more to you? And sadly, I think most of us in America this day would say they want that two minute reel because they want the likes. And I guess that's because they perceive that that two minutes speaks for the rest of the 23 hours and the 58 minutes. And we know that's not the case at all, because if that was the case, Twitch would still be here. And so many other influencers, he's not the only person, famous person that's killed himself Man, we have to look at how many famous people over the years have killed himself. I told you all about Miss America last year. Freaking jumped off the top of her high rise building and plummeted to her death because she was unhappy. She was struggling with mental health issues. Had everything man, the most beautiful woman. Oh, my God. She was gorgeous. Yo, but it wasn't enough. But that highlight reel of her life, everybody would think she's perfect. And she's got it all. Twitch's highlight reel. He's perfect and got it all. The freaking couple months back, the social media influencer chick that stabbed and killed her boyfriend in an elevator. It's great two minute highlight reel in her life. Wonderful two minute highlight reel. Beautiful as could be. But guess what? The other 23 hours and 58 minutes were filled full of hell. And now she's facing trial for murder. But we don't see that because we're focused on the two minutes. And then when it all goes south, oh, my God, what happened? What happened? Well, you're only, you can only be an influencer for about two minutes out of your 24-hour day. And like I said, that other 23 hours and 58 minutes catches up with you. You know, I was talking to my uh, buddy on uh, Instagram, Books Behind the Badge, great guy, definitely Follow him on his on Instagram, Books Behind the Badge. Listen to his podcast. But 
man, he reads so many books in a year. Like, it's unbelievable, yo. But people are telling him, bro, you really need to put out more stuff in your story. You need to put out more content, man. You got to put more in your story. And he and I were talking. And we were like, man, you know, that's not really what I want to do and focus on. Like, I, I don't want to live in front of my phone, you know, for 24 hours a day trying to get my followers up and trying to get likes. Like, because that's not a real authentic life. Like, I have a little real life to live. yo. So that's why, like I said, my show, sometimes it comes down to the point where I can put out one, two or three shows a week. But sometimes it might be one show every two weeks, one show every three weeks. Then it might bounce back to where I might be able to put out a bunch of shows in freaking, you know, in a week's time span. But I don't make this podcast and my social media my primary focus in my life. I just don't. I won't. And I refuse to. And if I'm only sitting at seven, eight hundred followers for the remainder, that's cool with me, because you know why? I'm not judging my two minute highlight reel on my entire life, because my highlight reel might not be as cool and exciting as some other people's highlight reels. But guess what? The other 23 hours and 58 minutes, I live a purpose filled life full of purpose, love you know, a healthy marriage, a healthy home, healthy children. I have a career that I love and I am passionate about. And I love being able to share that with the world. But I'm not just going to hop on to give you a two minute highlight reel, sell you some bullshit in two minutes and tell you to buy my book. But then at the same time, look at me and be like, this guy's life is an absolute mess. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to live that fake life, that fake two minute highlight reel for y'all. Told y'all I want to keep it real as possible, man. And dude, I struggle. Everybody struggles. And that's one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to have this podcast where I'm not talking about politics and Joe Biden and the economy, the recession. I want to talk about us as a people. I want other people to get better. I want to help save lives. Man, mental health in this country is struggling right now. And I know we've lost a lot of law enforcement officers this year, this past year to suicide. So many and it's so sad. But I'm going to sit here and tell you right now that suicide is not just a law enforcement issue or problem or veteran problem. That is a we problem. It is an American problem. That is a people problem. My mother was not a veteran or a police officer. And my mother's, you know, she was a God fearing woman. And my mother still made that hard choice decision to take her own life. And, you know, while I think it is important that we do try to save the lives of law enforcement officers and veterans who have struggled and given so much for their communities and their country and the Constitution. Me, like I said, I am both of those. But at the same time, I am also a personal survivor of a possible suicide attempt, as I'll say. You know, because I said I put the gun to my head and I had put slack in the trigger, but I didn't pull it because I can't say it was a suicide attempt. But I was right there on the edge at that point in time in my life. But I just could not do it. I didn't have the courage to do it. But man. And now there is so much of that going on right now, man. Every time I turn around, there's somebody. I mean, I'm getting a call at work on a suicide or there's somebody I know that just committed suicide. Man, suicide and the mental health issues have touched every last one of us regardless of our profession or our status in this country as a civilian or social economical class man it don't matter 
None of it matters. All that matters is that people are suffering. No case in point. There was an incident in Arkansas uh, about, I believe it was on December 22nd. This young black lady goes into Walmart and apparently trying to turn in or get a refund for a TV she had bought. Well, apparently something goes haywire, goes wrong. This young black lady, her name is Corlanda, Corlanda McGinnister, pulls out a gun and takes the the Walmart employee clerk hostage over a TV. And this goes on for hours that this young this lady's at gunpoint. Police, I believe is in uh, Helena, Arkansas, Helena Police Department come in and they try to talk this young black lady down. And she's yelling, you know, saying, get me the news, get me the news. They got to know. They got to know. So, you know, the, the young black lady doesn't comply. The police end up shooting and killing her. And now there is this outrage of, you know, I've seen so many people outraged that the police shot and killed her. So I'm not going to try to get on a police tie right here. But I got to just say the police did exactly what they should have done. And people are saying, well, they never gave her a chance. Like, bro, they sat and they talked with this woman for almost two hours. What else would you have liked for the police to have done? They did. They did it right. But it still wasn't enough for people, man. So weird. They were like, well, you know, what did Corlanda want the people to know? Something was going on. There's something going on. She had a story. She needed to say something. I can tell you what was going on. Mental health issues. You don't go take a TV back to Walmart, a normal person, return a TV for a refund, get told no, and then pull out a pistol and hold the employee that told you no hostage for two hours and then cry for the news because you need the news. You need a news anchor to tell them something. That's not normal behavior, people. And people are turning this into a whole racial thing. They only shot her because she was black. No, they shot her because she was holding somebody hostage at a store with a gun. What if that was your mama working at the counter that day? What if that was your sister, your wife? You wouldn't give a damn what color she was. You just want that person. You want that threat eliminated and you want your loved one back at home. But man, people took this incident and blew it up. And I'm like, you know, and a lot of people are like, no, good. She got what she deserved. But man, what she needed was help, mental health. I don't know this chick. I don't know nothing about her. But I can tell you that is not normal behavior for a 21 or 22 or 23 year old. That's not normal. That is somebody clearly suffering from some sort of mental issue. And people were like, you know, the police should be trained better to handle these issues. Listen, at a certain point, there's no amount of talking or de-escalation, as some people like to call it. In these type of situations, we just have to act as police officers. And they acted. And like I said, they took partly more than a, a, more than enough time needed to try to talk this lady down. But you can't convince a crazy person that's seeing bunny rabbits running around. With human faces on them that they're not seeing that because that's their perception, that's their reality. And man, and I hate that this young lady lost her life, but I can only wonder what her friends and family were seeing with her. The signs were there. I guarantee you there were signs there. But we have an issue in the black community when it comes to seeking mental health. And we always say, oh, no, we don't know. We don't do that. That's for white people. No, 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 baby. That's for all of us. Mental health is for everybody. 
don't matter no matter what color you are, what you believe in. You can sit and pray to Jesus all day and night to be healed. But sometimes, you know what? You need a therapist. You need a doctor and you need medication because God has put people on this earth to help you get those things. I'm not saying that God can't heal and that, you know, miracles can't happen. But you know what? If God has put a doctor on this earth to help you heal yourself from cancer, maybe you should seek and go get cancer treatment. You know, you got to use your brain, man. And unfortunately, we have so much of this crap going on in the country where people are just being taken by surprise with a young lady named Cor- Corlanda goes into her store, takes somebody hostage. But why are we surprised when, like I said, the signs are always there? This wasn't the first time something's happened like this. And, you know, and sometimes the signs aren't there. Like I said, I had a guy that I know here that worked in the tire shop here at, for the Louisville Metro Police Department for the police cars and Metro vehicles. Gary. Gary was always nice and always smiling, always in a good mood, always happy to see Gary. He's my favorite guy at the tire shop. Yo, but I turn on, I get on my news feed on Facebook and I see him in the news because Gary decides to kill not only his wife, but his two daughters and himself. And nobody saw it coming. Now, maybe if I had been new, knew Gary on a deeper level, maybe I could have known or seen something. I don't know. Yo, but man. People are struggling in America, man. And we just keep sweeping this mental health monster under the rug. And like I said, I think our biggest issue in this country right now is social media, man, because we have given people with mental health issues a platform. We have made it cool to be crazy and we have made it cool for crazy people to have a two minute highlight reel which leads you to believe that this person is not crazy, but this person is just living their best life. When the truth is that two minute highlight reel is a cry for help. But we want that two minute highlight reel for our own lives. And so we don't say nothing. And we just let all this crap go unchecked until the next, you know, this person's holding somebody hostage at a Walmart with a gun. And then you're mad when the police have to shoot, kill this person. And they all say, y'all didn't have to kill him. There was other options. No, there was no other options. The other, the, the time for other options expired when they pulled out that gun it's a sad 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 world we live in man and it's like i said it's all for social media it's all for a two-minute highlight reel man that's all anybody ever cares about these days and i'm sick of it i'm tired of going to suicides i'm tired of always questioning wondering what the heck happened when the truth is it's preventable yeah, we can't stop every person we know from committing that horrible, selfish act, yo. But, man, if we could intercede and stop a couple people to help drive down these suicide numbers in this country, that would be great with me. Like I said, they're not just veterans and police officers, just people in general, because, man, everyone is affected by suicide on some level. You know, and social, like I said, social media drives this, you know, feeling of despair that people have. And the fact that people are so discontent with their own lives and they're just not happy because they don't have what they see other people having in two minutes. And they just everyone seems to think that if I could just have that two minute highlight reel, my life would be so much better. And the truth is, it's not. I'm here to tell you all people. I'm here to tell you all everything you see on social media media is fake. 
Like I said, I, me personally, I'm not a fake person. I don't put up a two-minute highlight reel to be, hey, look at me, everybody. It's the I Am Pitch. Buy my book. Like, no, that's not what I do. Like, I, have a, I don't even want my face in front of the camera no more just because I don't want to give off the illusion that, hey, I want to be famous and I want to be seen. And, hey, you know, I'm this guy. Like, that's, that's not what I want to do, man. I want to encourage people. I want to help people. And I hope that my voice alone is good enough to do that. I don't need a two minute highlight reel video to help people. Because like I said, this is just a hour out of my day. Sometimes an hour and a half, maybe two hours. But the 20, the other 22 hours, I'm actually out in the streets with my family in the police uniform, actually helping people. This is just an extension of my voice and what I do. This isn't who I am all the day, every day. Although I'm the same person as I am on the show, off the show. But this is not my priority. My priority is actually going out and physically helping people. You know, and if I help someone, I don't need the accolades and the recognition for helping. You know, if somebody tells me, sends me a message, man, thank you for that episode of that show. You really spoke to me and I'm going to go get help. I've done my job. You don't have to make a post saying that the Iron Pits did this and now you're not going to see me make a post. Hey, everybody, look what I did to help this person. That's not what this is about. That is not what this is for. I said, this is just an extension of what I do. And I hope that the words that I'm speaking on this show and the things that I've said over the last 82 episodes kind of helps people and soaks into some people's brains. Because I, I really want to see people do better and be better. And I want to see people love and appreciate their simple, small lives and stop comparing themselves and their lives to these two minute highlight reels on the gram because the gram is not real. But you know what is real? You are real. Your struggles real. Your battles are real. Your mental health issues and problems are real. Yo, this time last year, I was in such a mental funk. I don't know what was going on with me. PTSD, depression. I don't know what it was, but I could not shake it, man. And I'm a man that has so much to be thankful for and so much going for myself. You know, like I had a book coming out. I worked on this book for seven years, but, but for some odd reason, I was just in the valley and I could not escape no matter what I did. Started taking medications, going and talking to people, yo, but and I just like, man, am I going to be in this valley forever? And it really felt like I was never going to get out of it. And the crazy part is it ain't the first time. You know, I talked about it in my book. I am Pitts, Memoirs of the American Patriot, where I fell into this deep, dark well of despair. And I just could not get out. It's like something that physically had a hold of my mind and my being and my emotions. And I was just on autopilot and in darkness. And when that feeling returned to me last year, I got scared, y'all. And I know because it's my live day this time of year between Thanksgiving and New Year's, man, I have so much emotional attachment to this time of year from when my buddies got blown up on Thanksgiving in 2005. I lost a buddy and uh, he died on Christmas Day in 2007 in Iraq. Me getting blown up on January 2nd. There is so much emotional baggage I have on this year. And I was terrified as this time of year was coming because I. I knew last year I had I was in that deep, dark well. And I was like, man, I don't want to go into that well again. I was terrified that it was going to happen. I almost it's like I almost knew it was going to happen. 
And you know what I said I was going to do? I'm going to go start back talking to somebody. So about a month ago, I signed up and started going to the vet center here in Louisville, Kentucky. And I wanted to talk to somebody because I was having these feelings and I was terrified because I believe seasonal PTSD is real. And there is PTSD attachments to certain days and seasons. And I this is the season for me. But thank God, you know, I started talking to my new counsel and therapist and he told me just because that stuff happened in the past and you fell into that dark well, that time doesn't mean it's going to happen again this year. And guess what? Thank God. I am better this year at this point in time this year than I've been in a long, long, long time. Y'all, when I say I'm better, I am. I was terrified coming up into coming up to this day. Because it's just like I just been waiting for something to trigger and for everything to go black and my emotions and everything to shut off and to just shut down because I was expecting it. But I've gotten the exact opposite of what I expected. I have nothing but absolute joy and admiration this time of my life right now. And I'm so happy. And despite me coming off this horrible trip, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) this horrible trip to Orlando. I'm still able to smile and be myself because, man, I'm just not in that dark hole this year. And I'm so happy. And, man, the fact that I'm out of it, I want to make sure other people stay out of it. You know what we have to do? We really have to start taking care of ourselves more. And when I say take care of ourselves more, I'm not talking about the millennial in the millennial way. Uh, Sergeant, I'm not going to be able to come in today. I need a mental health day, Sergeant. I'm just really not doing well. I need to take a mental health. No, no, no. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about a mental health day. I'm talking about where you put your mental health at the front forefront of your life. A bad day at work is one thing, but when you have consistent bad days and your mind is just not really working and processing and your feelings and emotions are all over the place, something's going on. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be let down. It's happened. It's a part of everyday normal life. But when you are down and you can't get up, that's when you need to go see somebody. Instead of trying to be the tough guy and tough it out, then the next thing you know, you end up killing yourself. We always wonder, what happened to Kenny? Why would Kenny kill himself? You know, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a single mental health day, man. That ain't, a, brother, if you need a mental health day, you know what? You should have been getting ahead of that and in the front of that. A long time before you needed your mental health day, because you know what? There, the, I don't care what dream job you have. Some days are just hell. I don't care how great and beautiful your wife is. Some days the marriage is just not that great. But guess what? It doesn't stay that way always. It's in the valley. We all start at the mountaintop. We travel into the valley. We stir in the valley for a little bit. And then we travel back up out of the valley to the top of the mountain. Freaking life is a roller coaster, man. There's sometimes you're going to be on the peak and sometimes you're going to be on the valley. And the thing is, we have to learn to manage ourselves when we're in the valley. And I feel like we have lost the ability in this country to manage those trips into the valley. And it's destroying us. It's destroying lives because people are in the valley and they feel like they'll never get out of the valley. And I'm speaking to you as a person that's been in the valley feeling like I'm not going to be able to get out of this valley. But guess what? I persevered through and I journeyed back out and now I'm back on the top of the mountain. But rest assured, there is a battle and a struggle that's coming. That's going to take me back into the valley. 
But now I have tools with me to help me navigate the darkness in the valley. You know, one thing I have decided to do this year, like I said, is to start taking care of myself more. And when I say taking care of myself, I'm talking physically, mentally, spiritually. And this ain't no new day resolution thing. I don't believe in New Year's resolutions. I believe in new day resolutions where every day I try to get better and be, you know, try to take the next step to the next level somehow, some way. Some days are great. Some days are not. But I always have that in my mind as I you know, persevere forward. You know, I want to be better each day. Yo, but like I say some days I just don't have it all together. The last few weeks have been rough for me, man. But hence why I haven't put out a show. Like I said, I've just not been feeling well, but I'm here and I'm pushing forward. And one of the things this year that kind of taught me that I needed to start taking better care of myself was seeing the change in somebody that I knew was a Marine and served in the Haditha Dam area, which was a horrible area. This guy lost a bunch of friends in Iraq. This guy was a police officer. I worked with him on the police department years ago, like back in 2010, man. And when I met this guy, re-met him, I haven't seen him in forever. He's a different freaking person, man. I mean, complete different person. I told him, I was like, bro, like, I don't, this new you, I'm loving it. Because the way I used to see this person was like, yeah, we were cool one day, but the next day, it'd be like, yo, you all right, man? Like, I get away from me. Like, he's bipolar, like hot and cold, hot and cold, hot and cold. And I was just like, man, I used to keep my distance from him. Great officer, but man, like, you just didn't know what you were going to get. He'd be super aggressive one day, then super lax the next day, yo. But I saw this guy a couple months ago, and I was just talking to him and like, dude, what happened? Like, he now teaches classes on PTSD and, like, helps officers through their struggles, yo. Like, I'm just, like, completely, like, my mind is blown because of how different this guy is. Because it's not the guy, the officer I remember. Complete different person, yo. But he told me, he was like, man, you know, I had a lot of problems and started getting help. And then he's like, you know, the one thing I did that's really turned it around for me, he's like, man, I got my testosterone checked. And he told me that he realized his testosterone was way, way below the normal levels. And he told me, Dex, you need to get your levels checked. And I've always been a guy like, man, ain't nothing wrong with me, bro. I'm good. And, you know, I don't need no testosterone. I'm a real man, bro. I, I ain't got no problems, yo. But lo and behold, a couple months back, I started getting like it's been ongoing since before, I guess, probably I'll say probably about the last, since I'll say the start of the year, when I was in that funk, that's when I realized kind of things in my life kind of going downhill and things aren't going great. Even though everything around me was going wonderful, I'm making money, I'm married, I got a great wife, I got a book out, yo, but for some odd reason, I'm just literally like, yo, like miserable all the time and not happy. I love my job, but I'm tired and I'm stressed out and I just can't figure why I don't have any energy. The things that used to interest me, that interest the man, every man, didn't interest me no more. And I was just like, huh, that's weird. You know, no, it just is what it is. I'm just in that season of life, bro. I'm going to just keep going, doing my thing. You know, and I realized, you know, hey, now, now, now know what I put it on? Man, I'm 38 years old, bro. You know, I've been in the military. You know, it's, you know, this just comes part of getting old. This is just comes part of being a wounded veteran and being a cop. And that's not true. That's not true. The way I was feeling... I shouldn't be feeling that way at 38 shouldn't be having mental brain fog at 38 years old, 
but I just persisted like I'm just tough it out and be a man and get through it. And then when my but when I re-met this guy and he told me, go get your testosterone levels checked and you'll see if what you've been going through is related to that. You know? And so I went and had my testosterone levels checked. And let me tell y'all, I guess between normal levels for a male my age is between four and eight hundred. My T level was two sixty three, well below what it should be. And my dude, he told me he was like, bro, he was like, he was in the like low one hundreds. And when that happens, man, you start developing so many types of issues you can't even believe it, just from your testosterone being out of check. And what he told me was, you might not know it, but because I guarantee you these problems started happening with you after the 2020 riots. And so I started researching. I was like, you know what? That's exactly when I realized I started having these issues and I fell into the funk after the riots was over towards the winter of 2021. You know, and things kind of leveled out. And, hey, but, you know, here we go moving into 2022. And I'm just kind of like flat, not really excited about anything, just kind of not myself. Then I realized when I was doing my research and what he was telling me is cortisol in your system wrecks your hormones and endocrine system. So and I'm going to try my best to explain this. Y'all. I'm not a doctor. I trust me. I did not stay at a holiday Inn. I am not Dookie Hauser, bro. Just just my research. Yo. But so human beings, you know, we have fight or flight response when we get into these tense situations. Well, typically, you know, we're not in these life or death situations every day. So typically when you have a fight or flight response, it engages, you know, you do the thing to survive and it's over. You're either going to run or you're going to fight. And then your your levels, cortisol levels kind of mellow back out, you know, because you need that you know, blast of adrenaline and cortisol and that stress to help you, you know, fight and get safe. But once you're safe, like I said, those levels fall down. Well, the problem we were experiencing in 2020 and 2021, I don't know if y'all know about this civil unrest that went through the country for years, people destroying buildings, threatening to kill and murder our families, working about 40 plus days in a row without having a day off, constantly in flight mode. And I ain't gonna say fight or flight mode, constantly in fight mode. I mean, I was ready to go, I was ready to die every day. I was ready for the shit to hit the fan 24 7 even in my sleep i told y'all about that freaking raccoon in that video i had from a couple months back man where that raccoon set off my front door <laughs> my my ring camera and i was there and i'm in my in my undies and a handgun ready to go to war because you know i've conditioned my mind and my body to be in that constant state of fight man and that has wrecked havoc on my hormones and i did not know it because i remember when i came back to louisville in 20, what was it? 2020, like, uh, I think it was like uh, February. No, excuse me, when did I come back? Jesus. Yeah, I came back in June. But I remember when I came back, I had, I gotten a blood test done and they checked my testosterone. You know? And they were like, yeah, your, te- your testosterone levels are like, like 450. And so it's within the, it's within the, it was within the range. And back then everything was fine. But after the 2020 riots and all that for a year and a half, that constant stress, that constant fight mode, constantly being turned on 24 7, 365, ready for anything to go down. I did not realize how much that stress and cortisol wrecked my system to where my testosterone levels dropped half, over half. 
And hence that explains why I've been feeling the way I've been feeling. And a lot of people like that's a lot of personal information. But you know why I'm putting my personal information out? Because I want guys to go get help. So especially if you are a police officer and you have been dealing with the stress in this profession the last freaking two and a half years. Go get your testosterone levels checked, gentlemen. For the ladies, I'm not sure what it is, but I would tell you, go get yourself checked, too. Go get some blood work done. Because I was absolutely in shock when I got my blood work results back. And they told me, yeah, you're well below. You need to take some testosterone replacement therapy. And man, I'm only two, three weeks in. And honestly, God, I can already feel a difference, man. I can already feel a difference. Oh, man, it's like a new day. And not only that, you know, it's like I, ha- I was having issues with my blood sugar. Man, I got all sorts of medical stuff going on and. Because, you know, when you're in this constant fight mode, I'm not making the best choices nutritionally. I'm just kind of eating and going anything I can. Been eating a lot of crap and a lot of junk the last year and a half, man. And I've paid for it. I've gained weight, feel horrible, not sleeping good. And, man, so with low testosterone level combined with high blood sugar. Oh, bro, man, I have wrecked my body the last year and a half. For an ungrateful city and an ungrateful population of people. And now it's time for me to take care of myself. And man, let me tell you something. I I didn't like I I did not realize how tired and stressed out I was and mentally drained I was until I removed myself from the police from LMPD and I'm at this new place. And man, I am in a complete different world. Never been happier. And I am thankful that. I ran into my buddy who told me to go get myself checked out because you know what? If I didn't, I still be in that hole, you know, where everything I'm in the valley, but I'm still smiling, you know, because we all know the people that are in a dark valley, but they're always still smiling. You know, everybody know Robin Williams, one of the main people, Mr. Mr. Funny man, smiling and laughing in all the movies, making everybody laugh and happy. Everybody thinks he's the happiest man on earth and he kills himself. You know, the last thing I want people to be doing is like, man, you know, see me end up doing something and hurting myself and wondering what the heck. He's the nicest guy. He's got all this going for him. He's got a beautiful wife, family. He's got a book, a podcast. He's got all this going on. He's always happy and encouraging people. Why would he kill himself? I don't want to do that to people. I don't want people to see me like what what happened to Dex. I refuse to do that. I refuse to put my family, my wife and my kids through what my mother's suicide did to me. And I am still battling with it on some days. Regardless, I know I can't, it is not my fault. She did what she did. I have no control over, but you know what? I will not let that type of thought come to my children's head and make them wonder what happened to daddy. Was it my fault or is there something I could have done? I refuse and I would hope and pray that you all would take that in consideration when you look at your families and your friends and your coworkers. Go get help if you need help. There is nothing wrong with going and seeing a shrinking a doctor and getting on some medication if you need it, man. There's not. Dude, it's been a rough few years in this country. And like I said, social media does not make it better whatsoever. But man, like we are bombarded in our everyday freaking lies, you know, by advertisements. And you know, every time you get on social media, somebody's two minute reels popping up and, 
Now, we're just constantly bombarded with these things that we perceive as real life. And it's not. And it makes us devalue our own lives. I'm here to tell you to stop devaluing your own life. Your life is wonderful. You might be in a rough patch, but your life is definitely worth living. You know, the world needs you. Your family needs you. I need you. People need you, man. And you removing yourself from the equation. Yeah, it's going to end the suffering from you, but you're going to pass your suffering on to other people that don't deserve to suffer in your absence. Now, I've been suffering in my mom's absence since August 29th of 2010. I miss that woman so much, you know, and I would give anything to have her back. Man, I would give anything if I could go back in time and just have known and paid attention to the signs, not see the signs. The signs were there. You know, I just didn't pay attention and I didn't realize them. And like I said, now that I'm on the other side of that all these years later, you know, and I realize as a veteran and a police officer with PTSD, but I don't let that control me. I realize that, you know what, in order to get ahead, I got to stay ahead of all this stuff. You know, like I, said, I you have to go talk to people. You have to. You can't just keep all this stuff bottled in, man. You got to get it out. You got to go talk to somebody. Because like I said, I'm tired of seeing these pop up posts on Facebook of somebody died and then we all find out that that person killed themselves and it could have been prevented possibly maybe it's just sad and tragic and it's a story that keeps happening and being repeated over and over and over and over that's why I said I have this podcast because I want to share my stories and experiences and my opinion on things but also I want tough guys to know that dude I'm tough trust me I'm not ashamed to get on here and say man i had a problem the last year and a half. I've not been myself. I've pushed through it, but man, brother, sometimes you need to take that shot, dog, and get that testosterone. Ain't nothing wrong with it, man. Dude, I feel like I feel so much better. And it's nice to be a living a life where I don't have brain fog. And I was always wondering, like, what the heck's going on? Well, I got hurt in Iraq. Well, that's just that that's what it is. And not do nothing about it and just go on forging forward and trying to be a tough guy. Go get help. Go get the shot. Go talk to somebody. Take the medication. Do something. Don't just sit and wallow in your misery. Then all of a sudden decide to remove yourself from the equation. You know, I follow this guy on uh, Instagram. He's uh, called Heroed Out Official. So if you're not, please go follow him. But he posted something the other day. This meme that said, just because someone carries a well doesn't mean it isn't heavy. And my God, man, I've carried it well most of my life. I've carried it well this last year. And guess what? It's been heavy, super heavy. But I'm at a, I'm, I've laid it down, man. And I am so glad that I have. I'm so glad that I've gone and gotten help and that I'm glad. And I'm glad that I listened to somebody that's been there. And I'm glad that it's somebody that made the change that I saw personally. But we all need help, man. Everybody. Everybody, no matter how much money you got, no matter how tough you are, we all need help, man. So that's what this show has been about mental health and just changing our perception and not just looking at social media as real life. That two minute highlight reel, man. That's not what this life is about, dude. If you're living your life for the two minutes, you're living it all wrong. You know what? Make your little real. Yeah, you do your little two minute thing, but realize you still have 23 hours 
and 58 minutes of life to live outside of that two minute reel. And you need to make that two out that 23 hours and that those 58 minutes count for something. Like I said, if nobody likes your two minute reel, it's all good. Hey, I don't want to die. And people want to at my funeral like, man, that guy sure did have some awesome two minute reels on Instagram. No, that's not what I want people to remember me by. So I want people to remember me by that 23 minutes and 58 seconds that I gave everything I had for my community, my country and my family and for my chosen profession and to help my fellow man, no matter who you are, black, white, Indian, Asian, gay, straight, trans, Christian, Muslim, Jewish, veteran, not a veteran, police officer, not a police citizen, whatever you throw out there, librarian, you know, zookeeper. I don't care. I don't care if you've been divorced a hundred times. I don't care if you're in jail for murder. I don't care. I just want to be here to help people and make the most of these bonus years that I've been giving these 18 extra years of life that God has blessed me with 18 extra years, man. And the two minute reel in that 18 years is nothing to me. And it's nothing to me if I'm not out here making a difference in people's lives little by little every day. Even if it's just a one hour and 30 minute podcast, I do once a week, once a month, something. I want somebody to get something from this life that I have lived. And I want them to learn some lessons from the mistakes that I have made to help enrich their lives and the lives of others and pay it forward, man. You know, people have bought my book or and done stuff with me and be like, man, how, hey man, what do I owe you? And I'm like, bro, you don't owe me nothing. Pay it forward. Be a good person. Go help people. Don't focus on politics and them being a liberal or conservative. Focus on the person. That's it. Focus on the person because they're a human just like you. Because when you cut us all open inside, we all got the same organs and we all bleed the same blood. Now, my blood with my high blood sugar is a little bit more stickier than y'all's, but I'm working on that. I promise. All right. <laughs> working on it. Got the diabetes. So, man, I thank you all for tuning into this episode. Like I said, it's a little different, man. Like I said, I wasn't harping on politics and all that because we know the world's going crazy. But guess what? We're going to be all right. We're going to be all right. We ain't focusing on what's going on in everybody else in every corner of the world and on social media. Like I said, that's the problem. We focus too much on the stuff that don't matter. We focusing on the White House, but we ain't focusing on our own house. And this show was to remind you to get in alignment with what's going on in your own house, in your heart, in your mind. So go get help if you need it, man. And so with that said, you know, I'm getting ready to draw this thing to an end. Thank y'all for tuning in. Like I said, sorry, I've been gone a little while and feeling extra crappy. But man, oh yeah, also, if if y'all follow me on uh, my Instagram page, I'm Pitts One, I had a little contest I did. I got a friend that loves my show. And like I said, he wanted me to, he wants some people to get my book. So I had a little book giveaway. If you missed it, I'm sorry. My bad. But hey, if you didn't get the free book, you can always purchase one on Amazon.com. Go to IamPits.com. Or if you want, you can buy one for me direct and I'll sign it for you. Drop me an email at IamPits at Yahoo.com. And I'll tell you how to purchase a signed copy from me. Your boy. And like I said, man, it's been two or excuse me, it's been a year. One year since I published my book. So that's pretty freaking awesome. Pretty spectacular. Been a published author for a year. But you know what that means? I got us. I'm starting to work on the second book and I'm trying to get that together and figure out how that's going to go and how that's going to flow. 
not sure yet, but it's a work in progress. And also, I told you I've been battling about going back and forth about and people like you need to go live, man. You need to, you know, have a video show. And I'm just like, I've been listening to people tell me what I should do. And I've not been considering if that's what I want to do. And I really necess don't necessarily want to because it's a lot of extra work. It's a lot of extra stress. And I don't need that stress in my life. And I don't believe y'all want to see this ugly mug anyway. I prefer I know you, you prefer to listen to this smooth, smooth, sexy voice on an audio only podcast. But if you want to see my face, follow me on Instagram at I am pitch one. That's where I post most of my content and those awesome two minute reels. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, my reels are just definitely not awesome. Like I'm just an average, ordinary guy, y'all. Nothing special about me. Just an ordinary guy that's been through some extraordinary crap and has survived. But also, like I said, this is my live day. So I got something a little special for you all. So before the show ends, what I'm going to do, I am going to post a clip from my audio book. I am Pitts, Memoirs of an American Patriot. It's almost done. Working on the Last bits and pieces of it now, trying to get it finalized because, my God, Amazon ACX is being a pain in my backside and my audio engineer. Like, it's something's off by one decimal. This guy got to go back through the whole thing and rework it, yo. So, we're fighting and climbing, scratching and clawing our way to completion on the audio book, yo. But what I want to do since it's my live day, not posting the whole chapter, I'm just posting a snippet of the audio from that part of my book on my live day okay so that's what i'm gonna leave you all with like i said thank you all for tuning in man if you need help man don't feel free to reach out drop me an email i don't care call somebody what's the new number they got 988 call get some help or is it 998 i don't know i, I probably should know only one i know is 911 but then again i don't call that either because i am 911 but like I said, man, if you need some help, get some help. Feel free to reach out to me or anybody else. Don't be ashamed because trust me, I am not ashamed. I'm willing. I'm going to put it all out on the line, man. If you need some help, go get some help. All right. So hope you all enjoy. I hope your 2022 was good to you. And I hope that 2023 is even better for you going forward. All right, people, ladies and gentlemen, y'all take care and I will see you all on the next one. We spent the first part of the day patrolling route huskies in the surrounding neighborhoods. The day was turning out to be eerily calm, but my sixth sense would not allow me to let my guard down as the lingering feeling of being watched continued to plague me. To watch over and secure a large section of route huskies during the night, we would split our four-vehicle convoy in half. We would place two Humvees at one location along route huskies, with one truck covering east and another truck covering the west. The other two Humvees would drive a quarter mile to a half mile down the route and set up their OP, just as the other two vehicles. The past two nights, we established our static OP on the north side of Route Huskies in front of a small compound surrounded by a mud wall that housed an Iraqi family. Lieutenant Michaels ordered Private First Class Bill to park our vehicle facing westbound in the same spot, just as we had done the two previous nights. Before we parked our vehicles, a few of our guys exited their vehicles and did a quick sweep of the area to make sure that it was safe before we parked and settled in for the night. Our vehicles were about 10 yards from the frontage road that ran parallel to Route Huskies. On the other side of Route Huskies, directly in front of our OP, was one of the many sprawling Abu Ghraib neighborhoods. The first row of two-story buildings was roughly 100 to 150 yards from our position. The lights from the neighborhood constantly flickered 
and provided little to no assistance in illuminating the area. I used my MVGs to help me peer into the darkness to reveal any potential enemy threats from the location. The Iraqi man who lived in the compound was generous enough to come out and introduce himself. He gifted us with hot chai tea the first and the second night. He smiled and did his best to converse with us, despite the fact that he did not speak English. As nice as the Iraqi man appeared to be, I had grown hostile and developed a pessimistic view towards the Iraqis who resided in Abu Ghraib. I did not trust him, his family, or his chai tea. I wanted nothing to do with him. I stood guard in the turret behind the 240 Bravo, struggling to keep my eyes open, battling against fatigue. I had spent all day in the turret watching over our convoy. I was exhausted, but the ghastly feeling of an impending, catastrophic strike on our position was all the motivation I needed to stay vigilant. We had been parked in our static OP for about two hours when I suddenly realized that the Iraqi man who lived in the compound did not come to greet us. Where the heck is he? I pondered. When we pulled in front of his compound the first two nights, he did not hesitate to meet us. Before we could even turn our vehicles off and dismount, he was there waiting for us. Now he was nowhere to be found, and that made me extremely uneasy. Regardless of how I was feeling internally, under no circumstances did I ever feel compelled to voice any of my concerns that arose from my sixth sense with anyone. But tonight was different. Tonight, I felt an urgency to let everyone know what I was feeling. Back in Kuwait, during one of our AARs following a live fire exercise, Lieutenant Michaels reminded us that if something did not feel right or something felt out of place, that we needed to speak up. I don't know about you all, but something feels off. I have a bad feeling about sitting here in this spot tonight, I said as I crouched down from the turret to communicate with everyone inside the Humvee. No one else seemed to share that same concern or even had the same feeling. Realizing that I was the only one feeling this mystical sense, I started to think that maybe I was overreacting and experiencing some form of combat fatigue. Pitts, we are going to be fine. We are in a good position and we check the area. If they try to sneak up on us, we will be able to see them long before they can launch an attack on us, Lieutenant Michaels reassured me. I don't know, LT. I just can't shake this feeling, I replied. Pitts, you have been in the turret all day long. I am sure you are tired. I think you need to take a break. We're going to start a security rotation. You guys rotate out of the turret every hour. Pitts, get into the driver's seat, take off your helmet, and relax. Pint, you pull security, Lieutenant Michaels proposed. Before getting into the driver's seat to relax, I needed to relieve myself. I spotted a small hedge of shrubs about 10 yards to the right of the vehicle. I grabbed my M4 and jumped down from the turret. As I walked towards the hedge of shrubs, I surveyed the area. Headlights from cars traveling on route huskies periodically crept past, and I watched them like a hawk. I stood before the bushes relieving myself with the buttstock of my M4 secured under my left armpit, my left hand firmly clutching the pistol grip and my thumb on the selector switch, ready to go from safe to full auto in a moment's notice. Just as I was finishing up, the same chill traveled up my spine and the hairs on the back of my neck stood at attention. In that instant, I knew that someone had me in their sights. I could not see whoever it was, but I could feel their eyes watching me. I had no proof, but my gut instincts were sounding the alarm. I quickly made my way back over to Alpha 26 with Private First Class Build and Specialist Pint 
were having a smoke next to the driver's side door. The cherry of the cigarette seemed to shine extra bright, and the scent of the burning tobacco made its presence known. Guys, we should not be here. Someone is watching us. I can feel it, I reiterated to them with a the supreme confidence. They could hear the seriousness and urgency in my voice, and they soon echoed the same concern. Now that you mention it, Pitts, this place does seem a bit eerier tonight. And the Iraqi guy who lives here did not come out to greet us, Bill spoke. Yeah, that's super odd, Pike conceded. Maybe I was not crazy after all, or overreacting if they were noticing the same things. I climbed into the driver's seat of Alpha 2-6. Bill sat directly behind me, and Pike climbed into the turret to pull security. I looked over at Lieutenant Michaels, and he was fiddling around with the radio and our Blue Force tracker, which told us the location of other military units in the area. Lieutenant, I don't think we should be here, I proclaimed to him once more. I could see the frustration and annoyance on his face. I don't know if he was frustrated with me or the radio. Possibly both. Either or, I could tell that he did not want to deal with either. Pitts, I already told you once before, we are fine. There is nothing to worry about, he responded hastily. With that last and final response, I unbuttoned my chin strap and removed my ACH from my head to unburden my neck and relax. Wake up, Dexter. Wake up. You have to wake up. You are going to die. Open your eyes and move if you want to live, I frantically screamed at myself. In a fleeting and bizarre moment, I was floating outside of my body. I gazed down upon my limp, an unresponsive vessel sitting in the driver's seat. In whatever plane of existence I was presently in, it was tranquil. I was oblivious to the carnage unfolding in my presence. But just as swiftly as the inexplainable moment occurred, it ended even faster. The peacefulness and absence of everything that comforted me wherever I had been was replaced with an obnoxiously loud ringing in my ears. A thick concoction of blood, saliva, and dirt overpowered my taste buds, and slushed around in my mouth. My tongue slid back and forward over the jagged and sharp remains of what used to be my top left and bottom left molars. The smell of gasoline and ammonium nitrate dangled in the atmosphere. Insufferable and sinister pain rifted through my body. Every breath I took embedded the pain deeper into my soul. I wanted to move, but my body felt weighed down. I was helpless. The ringing in my ears slowly started to give way, to intense yelling and screaming. Pitts, are you okay? Answer me, Pitts, someone shrieked at me. I slowly opened my eyes and looked around. Everything appeared to be moving in slow motion, Hollywood style. It was still dark, but dim traces of light exposed small specks of dirt floating around inside of our vehicle. A dark and shadowy profile of some unknown person appeared in my peripheral vision. My mind struggled to comprehend the massive amount of information my senses were trying to process. Pitts! yelled the same voice again. In the midst of my pain and confusion, the only thing I could muster up and say was, Oh God! Oh God! in a low, pathetic, and pain-filled mumble. Pitts! Your door's wrecked! I'm gonna get you out of here! Hold on! I looked towards the sound of the voice and saw Lieutenant Michael's face. I felt his hands grab my IBA by the shoulders as Lieutenant Michael started to pull my vest in an attempt to drag me from the mangled mess that was Alpha 2-6. He grunted loudly as he struggled to pull me over the center console and out of his door. 
As he yanked on my vest and started to pull me from the decimated truck, the pain I was experiencing magnified. Lieutenant Michaels and I screamed in harmony as he gritted and struggled to unhinge me. Lieutenant Michaels was an average-sized man. He was about 5'11 with an average build. With his gear on, he probably weighed around 220 pounds. Me, on the other hand, I was about 245 pounds at the R&R and weighed around 275 with my gear. Regardless of the size difference, Lieutenant Michaels tugged and pulled on me until he freed me from the vehicle. My broken and fragile body fell to the ground with a loud thud. When I hit the ground, my pain spiked to levels that no human being should ever have to experience. I was unaware of what had transpired and placed me in this predicament. The agony reassured me that I was not yet dead, but it also signaled to me that my death was looming. I lay on the cold Iraqi soil, gazing into the star-filled night sky, knowing that I was taking my last breaths on Earth before death ushered me away to the great unknown beyond the stars and the darkness I was fixated on. The hard, cold ground extracted the warmth from my body. The pain was too much for me to bear. I laid feeble in death's clutch, ready for everything to go black. Even though I was petrified at the thought of dying, I anxiously awaited for death because I wanted the grief and pain to subside. Not like this. Not in this country. Not in Abu Ghraib. Not without a fight, I thought to myself. Thoughts of all the things I would never get to do or experience inundated my mind. I envisioned my mother and my wife answering that knock at the door and being greeted by a U.S. Army CNO, casualty notification officer. He would regretfully inform my mother that her baby boy had been killed in combat. He would tell Didi that she was now a gold star wife. My mind transitioned back to the dream I had on R&R, of me laying in my casket, dressed in my uniform, while my wife's tears rolled off of my casket onto the floor. I now realized that the dream I had back home was more than a dream. It was God warning me to be ready, but I was far from ready. I was a Christian, but not a very good one. I knew that I was not ready to face my judgment because of all the things I had done, thought, and said the last seven months. The anger and hatred I hoarded in my heart towards the people of Iraq and Abu Ghraib had grown deep roots within me. At that moment, I knew that God had spared my life for the time being so that I could make things right with him to make sure that I did not die in my sins. I closed my eyes and I started to recite the Lord's Prayer without ceasing. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. What's he saying? Someone questioned. He's praying. Someone replied. I heard their voices and opened my eyes to see Doc Posh, our platoon medic, and Lieutenant Michaels kneeling over me. Doc Posh sprang into action and started to assess my injuries. Pitt, you're going to be fine, he reassured me. I wanted to believe that I was going to be fine, but the pain and anxiety made me believe otherwise. Lieutenant, please tell me that my junk is still there, I requested. Lieutenant Michaels reached down and placed his hands on my genitals. In a strong and reassuring voice, he said, Pitt, you are good. I let out a brief sigh of relief. I could deal with the other injuries, no matter how severe they were. But having the part to me that made me a man taken away from me was something I was not prepared to live with or deal with. 
His left arm is shattered. I'm going to put a splint on it, Doc yelled. I slightly lifted my head off of the ground to look at my arm. Doc Posh had used his medical shears to cut off my DCU top so that he could assess my injuries more accurately. My left arm, still attached to my body, was mutilated and warped. Non-compound fractures and a dislocated left shoulder rendered my left arm useless. Doc Posh proceeded to move my arm as gently as possible in order to place a hastily made splint on it. Despite his gentleness, the damage to my arm was so traumatic that even the slightest touch enthralled me with pain. As Doc Posh placed a splint on my arm to stabilize it, a scream laced with complete torment and grief poured out of my mouth. Even though pain dominated my consciousness, my love and concern for my brothers came to the forefront of my thoughts. I knew I was in a bad way, but what about my brothers? Were they severely wounded like me? Even worse, I wondered if they were still alive. Pike! Build! I called out to them. They are good, Pitts, someone yelled. We need to get out of this spot and get these guys to the cache now. Pitts, we are going to get you out of here, but we need your help. You are a big guy, and we need your help to get you off the ground and into the Humvee, Doc Posh advised me. Upon hearing Doc's words, I decided that I was going to fight back. I was not going to check out of this life without a fight. Until death came for me, I was going to do my part and help my brothers in any way that I could. The fear of dying was still very real, but the fear no longer oppressed me and controlled me. My love for my brothers and my pride was stronger than the fear that tried to paralyze me. A jolt of adrenaline rushed through my body. Doc Posh grabbed my right hand and started to pull, while Lieutenant Michaels put his arms under my armpits and wrapped them around my torso from behind and started to lift. I let out a violent war cry of a scream as I engaged my leg and abdomen muscles to assist them with getting me off the ground. I stood to my feet with their help. The world around me spun out of control. I was clearly concussed. Had it not been for Doc Posh and Lieutenant Michaels, I would have lost my balance and crashed back to the ground. Every step that I took was packed with overwhelming pain to the point I was sure I was going to pass out. The other half of our patrol, who was just west of our location down Route Huskies, heard the blast and rushed to our position. When they arrived, they established a 360-degree security perimeter around our position. The rear passenger side door of their Humvees was open and waiting for me to enter. Just before I entered the vehicle, my muscle memory and infantry training kicked in. I was missing something, and I felt exposed without it. My rifle! Where's my rifle? Bring me my rifle! I insisted. One of the first lessons you learn in Army Infantry OSET is that you and your rifle are one. Everywhere you go, your rifle goes with you. Your rifle should always be attached to your body and never more than an arm's length away from you. Under no circumstances do you ever leave your rifle unattended. Your rifle is your best friend. Without your rifle, you are not effective. The price a soldier must pay for forgetting their rifle is a steep price that I never wanted to pay. Even in the fog of war, knowing that my life was hanging in the balance, I was still cognizant enough to know where my rifle was. Someone's already secured it, Pitts, someone communicated to me. In the back of the awaiting Humvee was Private First Class Taylor. Taylor, who held from Boston, Massachusetts, was the smallest guy in our platoon. He stood at 5'6", weighed 150 pounds, and had a physique that resembled a Greek god. What he lacked in size, he made up for in strength, 
speed, and being extremely proficient and knowledgeable in all of his soldier tasks and skills. Taylor was manning the 240 in the other Humvee, opposite Alpha 26, facing east. During the event, he suffered a concussion. Watch his arm, Doc yelled as they placed me into the back of the Humvee. Since Alpha 26 had suffered catastrophic damage and was no longer operable, we had to cram everyone and all of our equipment and sensitive items from Alpha 26 into the other vehicles. I leaned on Taylor as he sat in the middle amidst the rucksacks and assault packs. As I leaned on him, I continued to pray the Lord's Prayer. Taylor patted me on the head and said, We are going to be all right, brother. Let's get out of here, someone yelled with authority. Whoever was driving violently mashed the gas pedal and the Humvee jerked, causing my left arm to shift, causing me to let out a blood-curdling scream. I then used my right arm to hold my left arm close to my body to keep it from bouncing around. Our now three-vehicle convoy rushed down Route Huskies towards Biop with our RPMs and speedometer maxed out to get me and all of those who had been wounded to the 31st cache. The roads in Iraq had never been known for their smoothness or how well they were kept. The IEDs that repeatedly damaged and destroyed the blacktop we rode on made for a bumpy and painful ride to Biop. It felt as though we hit every bump and pothole on the way back, and the nerves in my left arm felt every bit of it and caused me to scream in pain. Even though we were heading towards the safety of Biop, I was still awaiting death's embrace as I continued to pray. The allure of dying a warrior's death looks great and sounds glorious in movies, but that all fades when you come face to face with your own morality in a combat zone and you realize that you much rather live than die. Hollywood does an amazing job capturing and depicting the glitz and glamour of war, but this was no movie. This was real life. This was my life at stake. There was no director to yell cut. There was no intermission. There was no coming back from this moment in time if I slipped away into the darkness. I would be gone forever from this life like a vapor. The convoy came to a screeching halt in front of the 31st cache where we were greeted by a slew of the Army's top medical professionals. They pulled me out of the Humvee and laid me on an olive green litter and wheeled me into the building. I looked up at the bright lights on the ceiling passing overhead as my mind continued to travel at the speed of 1,000 thoughts a second. Pike! Build! LT! I cried out in concern, wondering where my brothers were. We're good, Pitts! I heard Build yell out from across the room. I let out a sigh of relief knowing that they were okay and that they were with me. The ER staff started to cut my uniform off. I could feel the coldness of the AC on my exposed skin as they continued to assess my injuries. You are pretty banged up, soldier, but you are going to be okay. At that moment, the fear and anxiety started to dwindle, and I knew that I was going to live, but I also knew that the road to recovery that was ahead of me was going to be long. 